Um, good morning, everybody. It's lovely to have people in the room and great to have everyone at home with us as well. Um, today, we are going to be finishing our mini-series called Emerge that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. What does life look like as we emerge out of this period of time that we've been through over this past year? A couple of weeks ago, Judy spoke about the whole idea of lament, the importance that we take time to lament and grieve for what has happened. And then last week, Nathaniel talked about getting our priorities right. How is it that we can seek and know God as we go into this period of time ahead? And this morning, we're going to be looking at the whole idea of expectation. What is our expectation of God? What are we expecting of him to do in and through us as we go into these coming days, weeks and months? Now, I don't know if you can remember what you were doing uh, last Sunday evening at nine o'clock. It might be that you were one of the 13 million people across the UK who sat down to watch the season finale of Line of Duty. That's almost one fifth of the UK population sat down at the same time to watch the season finale of a particular TV programme. There was great expectation about how it was going to end. And I promise there won't be any spoilers for those who might not have watched it yet today. Even if you don't watch the programme, you might have been speaking to people who do watch the programme. There was a lot of chat at Riverside House about, oh, did you see Line of Duty last night? It was reported on in all of the national newspapers and on the BBC News. There was great expectation about how this programme was going to end. But then as the reviews started to come through and as uh, social media started to get updated when the programme had finished, Actually, it felt like the expectation of what people wanted the series to end on didn't get met. That so many people started using words like disappointed, let down, weak. A lot of the reviews weren't as uh, high five out of five stars as they had been throughout the rest of the series. Uh, there were lots of two star, three star reviews because people felt like their expectations of what they wanted actually weren't met. And it's not the first time that a big TV programme has finished in a way that actually people didn't like. I don't know how many people watched uh, the series Lost uh, a number of years ago. There were six seasons and it started off as this big programme. This plane crashed on an island. Everyone got really excited. I used to meet with my friends every Sunday evening to watch it. And I still don't know what happened in the final episode. It is a mystery to me. And if you can understand what it is, please do put it in the comments. I'm sure my husband will because he loved it. I didn't know what happened. And it was panned by the critics. More recently, uh, American TV show Game of Thrones Thrones or The Undoing, series that were seen as these critically acclaimed, brilliant TV programmes, got panned by the critics right at the end because the expectations of how people wanted it to end simply weren't met. But as I was thinking about this and thinking about how much we invest into watching TV programmes or reading books, we get so invested into them, into the characters, into the storylines, into the things going on that maybe simply they never will meet our expectations because we know that when they stop, they aren't in our lives anymore. That we invest so much into these characters and storylines in observing them that when they finish, we suddenly feel bereft because they're not there anymore. That maybe our expectations simply cannot be met. But there's one story that we know that we are all a part of. Not just 13 million of us who sat down to watch the end of Line of Duty, but every single human being in this world who has been and who will be. 
Because at the beginning of this year, we looked at the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And we saw that as God created this world, God created human beings, not just to be bit parts in his story, but to be the central characters in the story of this world that he had created. Because we looked at God said that we were made in his image. We were made in the image of God, the creator of the universe, to be down on this earth living our lives. We were the central characters. We are the central characters in the story of God's creation. And yet, do we come to that with the same expectancy and excitement with which some of us sat down last Sunday evening? Do we come excited knowing that we are part of this incredible story where God has made us as his image on this earth? Or maybe over the course of this past year, as we faced difficult things and we felt tired and run out, we might have become more acceptant of God rather than expectant of God. That we know that God loves us, we know that we can have a relationship with him, but actually part of us has lost that sense of God. We are expectant of the incredible things that you can do in and through us more than we could ever possibly imagine. Or maybe you're here this morning and you haven't even yet got to the point where you know the acceptance of God in your life. What does it mean to accept God? But once I have accepted God, how incredibly expectant can I be of all that God will do in and through me? Now, when we look at the book of Ephesians, it's quite different to some of the books in the Bible that have come before it, because some of the books that come before it that were written by Paul, who is the same guy who was thought to have written Ephesians, are actually written to churches to kind of say to them, hang on, you've got it a little bit wrong. They're slightly sort of challenging telling off books to begin with because they're saying, do you know what? You've lost the central point of why you believe what you believe. Because what you believe is because Jesus Christ, God's son, came to this earth so that you can have a relationship with God. And some of these other churches at Corinth and Galatia had got a bit sidetracked by other issues. But when we look at the book of Ephesians, there is a difference. Because this book simply starts by wanting people just to really understand how loved they are. There is encouragement the whole way through of saying, Jesus loves you. You are loved. This is how you can know you are loved. And it's thought in the early manuscripts that were found of the book of Ephesians, the word Ephesus isn't included in them. That was added on later. Because it's thought that this book that Paul wrote while he was in prison was a letter that he wrote to all of the churches as a form of encouragement to say to them, keep going, know that you are loved, know that you can all have a relationship with Jesus and this is how you can do it. And probably what happened was that the church at Ephesus got this letter and they went, wow, this is such good stuff. We want everyone in our church to really take hold of this as the central message for what they believe. So probably they championed it. And that's why uh, the kind of Ephesus bit got added in later, that the, the book of Ephesians became the church of Ephesus saying, come on, everybody, believe this. This is brilliant. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, noticed or maybe when you have read, if you have read this passage before, um, in chapter 3, verse 14, there's a little phrase that I kind of skimmed over when I first read this. And it says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, if we've had any sort of 
church background or we've been used to going to different sorts of churches, probably the fact that people kneel to pray, we don't think much of. Okay, yeah, people pray when they, when people kneel, when they pray, of course they do. If you have ever been into a Church of England church, uh, often when people take communion, they go up to the front and they kneel to receive communion. We probably don't think much about it, but actually this was really important when Paul wrote this letter because for the Jewish uh, custom, the Jewish faith, kneeling in prayer was not done. It wasn't the sort of majority thing that happened. Sometimes it did, but often not. The way that uh, the Jews would pray was standing up and many people who were coming to faith in Jesus came from a Jewish background. So it wasn't normal for them to kneel as they prayed. For the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people who were coming to faith in Jesus, they weren't used to kneeling when they prayed. Often when they prayed to different gods or to deities or to leaders, they would lie with their arms outstretched. So when Paul uses this simple phrase, that often is a throwaway phrase that we probably wouldn't think much about, there is a great significance in what he is saying because he's saying this is something new. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you have known, what you have come from. We together are creating something new where actually we can simply kneel before our Father in heaven. That every family, every person here on earth can come to know what it is to be in a relationship with God, with God's son, Jesus. And Paul says right at the beginning of Ephesians in chapter 1, He kind of lays out why he's uh, written this book and what he wants to say to people. Because it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. That this book is for us to know God better, to know him in our lives. Paul has prayed that we will know him better. And he's shown us that this is a message for all of us, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of who we are or where we've come from. And then in chapter 3, verse 20, he gives this wonderful message to each one of us, which this morning we can really take hold of. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. God is beyond our greatest expectation of him. He can do immeasurably more than all we could possibly imagine. And the more that we know him, the more that we uh, get to know him in our lives, the more we will be able to grow in our understanding of what that expectation of those immeasurably more things that God can do for each one of us are. In chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says that Paul writes, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ, God's son, may dwell in your hearts through faith. And how will that happen? How can we let God dwell in our hearts in a way that means we understand and we know him more so we can expect more of him. Well, Paul models it throughout this whole book because the way that Christ will dwell more in our hearts, the way we will get to know God better in our lives is simply through prayer. The book of Ephesians is a book saturated in prayer. It starts with praying, it ends with praying. The whole way through, Paul is praying for his church, for the church of God. 
Because in prayer, we can get to know God better. Prayer is a relationship with God, which enables us to understand him more and more in our lives. And if we're being really honest, prayer is a mystery. Prayer can be really hard to understand at times because there may be things that we have been praying for for years and years and years and saying, God, do this thing for us. And we haven't felt like that prayer has been heard. Or there might be things that we have prayed and then something different's happened and we've said, God, we don't understand. It's a mystery. But we know one thing we can be assured of is that God hears and he promises to answer prayers. But sometimes that can be a mystery. Whilst we don't always understand it, ultimately we know we are called to do it. That we are called to pray, to be in God's presence, to accept him into our hearts so that we can know him more. Jesus models this, God's son on earth, so wonderfully that time and time again, we read throughout the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament in the Bible, which tell us about the life of Jesus, that time and time again, Jesus withdrew to pray. He was God's son here on earth. He was God on earth, but he needed to pray. He needed to take that time away from what he was doing, from the crowds, from the people, to simply be in God's presence, to pray, to fill himself up, ready to go back out and to do the work that he was doing here on this earth. In the book of Acts, a book which talks a lot about the early church, so when the church was first formed and how that happened, we read right at the beginning of Acts, when the, when the church is really, really just beginning, In uh, chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then it goes on to say, And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Prayer has been modelled to us time and time again as the way that we can let God God dwell in our hearts to know him more so that we can become more expectant of all that he can do in and through us. And I think for even those who don't yet have a relationship with God, there is something very instinctive about praying. We don't know why we always do it, and yet sometimes we find ourselves doing it. Back in April 2020, so just when the pandemic had really hit the UK and we were in kind of the toughest season of lockdown, a national newspaper reported that the coronavirus pandemic has resulted in a 50% surge in online searches for prayer as people turn to religion to cope with feelings of anxiety, hopelessness and hopelessness. People were praying. They might not have known why they were praying, but they suddenly felt they needed something. There was something instinctive within them. I don't know if you remember uh, uh, many years ago the story of the plane that landed on the Hudson River. An incredible miracle. Uh, A plane that took off had engine failure. Uh, There wasn't time for the plane to get back to the airport. And if it had crashed, it would have crashed on a city, killing thousands upon thousands. And so the pilot took the decision to try and land the plane on the Hudson River. There was a small, small percentage that that plane would manage to survive the impact of a landing on water. But when you read reports of the people who were on that plane on which every single person survived, they said that as the plane went into descent, there wasn't screaming, there wasn't panic on the plane. There was simply the sound of people praying. 
We don't know how many of those people who did that Google search back in 2020, who were on that plane that landed on the Hudson River, had a relationship with God. But whether they did or whether they didn't, there was something instinctive within them that called them to pray, that rose up within them. I don't know how many of you have ever seen or experienced a water birth, a child being born into water, but it is a complete miracle because when the child or the baby is born, it doesn't breathe. So it's born into the water and it doesn't take a breath. But the second it is pulled out of the water and the air hits its face, <gasps> it breathes. It's an instinctive reaction to the air touching its face, which is an absolute miracle. I do not understand it and I can't get my head around it. But maybe... Actually, within each of us, knowing that we are made in the image of God as God's children on this earth, even if we don't yet know it, there is an instinctive reaction that pulls us back to God that says even in those harder times, we're going to pray, even if we don't know who we're praying to. And the more that we pray in all situations, the more our relationship with God develops the deeper it comes, the more that we understand him so that we don't just have an assurance of knowing him, but we have an assurance that we can also be expectant of the immeasurably more things that he can do. I love this quote that Richard Foster says about prayer, where he says, prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. In prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things he wills. Progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. That actually prayer isn't just about a wish list. Prayer is about us deepening in our relationship with God and our understanding of him. And if I'm being really honest with you this morning, prayer is something I have really struggled with. I don't know uh, how many of you have ever heard of or done the kind of personality profiling a thing called Strength Finder. We use it a lot at Riverside. It's a really helpful tool to understand how you work, how teams work, how you can work with other people. And part of the Strength Finder kind of profile that you get is you get your kind of five top strengths that come out. Every time I've done that, and I think I've done it three times now, my top strength has always come out as activator, which if you read the sort of like little blurb about what an activator is, it's someone who likes to do stuff. I like action. I like things to be done. I like things happening. I struggle when I kind of think, oh, we're just chatting about stuff without doing much. I like action and I like to know that we're being proactive. So for a long time, I really struggled with prayer because I would sit down to pray, but something in my mind would think, come on, Sarah, you've got to get on and do stuff. You can't just sit here and pray. We need to be out there doing the stuff. But actually, as uh, over time, I've learned more about prayer and I've read more about it in the Bible and let God really kind of open up my heart and my mind. I've realized the most important thing that I can be doing is praying because when I think about my best friends, the people who I have the closest relationships with here on this earth, they are not the people that I'm always doing activity with or out and about rock climbing or running. I don't run. I've never run. That's ridiculous. Um, but they're not the people that I'm doing activities with. They're also not the people that I'm just coming to with a wish list and saying, oh, I really wish this had happened in my life and I really wish you'd do that. Of course not. The people who are my best friends, who I have the closest relationship with here on this earth, are the people who I have sat in silence with, 
They're the people who have held me while I have wept. They're the people who I have laughed with. They are the people who have seen me at my absolute worst and my absolute best. They're the people that I invest time in, not because I have to, but because I want to. Because being with them brings me life and energy, and I love being with them. And actually, that is our relationship with God as well. That we don't come to him in prayer because we have this wish list of things that we want to happen, that just as we think they should. Or we don't come to God just simply always talking, talking, talking. We come to God because we want to. Because we want to grow in relationship with him. And even when that feels hard at the beginning, the more we do it, the more we will grow in relationship with him and the more wonderful it will become. Soren Kierengaard said, a man prayed and at first he thought that prayer was talking, but he became more and more quiet until in the end he realised that prayer is listening. It's a relationship. It's a two-way thing of being in God's presence. It's not our wish list, but our time to let God dwell in our hearts, as Paul says in verse 17. And the more that we get to know God, the more we pray, the more intimate our relationship with him will come. And the wonderful thing is we can pray at any time, in any place, any how we like. A couple of weeks ago, I came to church with my life group, to live church with my life group. And there's quite a lot of children uh, that are in my life group. And I went out with Melody when she was in the garden with the kids while the talk was happening to help her. There was a beautiful moment where Melody had the big parachute out and the kids were all around the outside and nearly every single one of those children prayed. They didn't care what they said. They didn't care about the words they used. They just knew they were chatting to God. And so we had prayers about, you know, guinea pigs or we had prayers about God help me because I feel a bit poo this morning. All sorts of prayers. But they were the children just chatting to God as they would chat to anybody. And I found it such an emotional thing to see those children in that moment chatting to God, knowing that we can pray at any point, in any place, anyhow we like. And as we do this, we will be able to grow in our expectancy that the creator of this whole universe is at work in and through us to do immeasurably more than we could ever possibly imagine. Back in uh, early 2020, for those of you who were part of Riverside then, you might remember that we began the year uh, looking at the book of Acts, the early church specifically. And we prayed and we fasted for the first week in January. We came before God and we said, God, we look at the early church and we see all these throwaway verses that say thousands were being added to your number every day. And God, we want that. We don't want that because we want a massive church. We want that because we want people's lives to be in relationship with Jesus, to know that they are so loved and that they can live on this earth with the expectancy of a relationship with God now and forever a story that will never end, the expectancy that one day we will be in eternity with God. And as we prayed, I remember one specific prayer meeting, someone had a, a picture that they felt God give to them of someone on their knees simply praying. And they felt God say to them that it wouldn't be through activity or programs or events that God would bring people to us. It would simply be through prayer. 
Little did we know that two months later, church as we had known it would stop for a year at least. Because as the coronavirus pandemic hit the UK, we were forced back into our homes. We were forced back to worship as the early church worshipped. We had prayed, God, do it again. Help us to be like the early church where they saw so many coming to to faith daily. And so we were there back in our homes. And it was hard, wasn't it? To be back in our homes when we were so used to gathering together and having the, the lights and the PA and the brilliant refreshments afterwards and seeing people. But in that moment, actually, we were taken back to simply a relationship with Jesus. That was us and Jesus in our homes. That we met in smaller groups, just as the early church did, uh, albeit by Zoom, which I'm sure they didn't have in the early church. But we met in our smaller groups, our life groups, our community groups online. And we met and we encouraged one another and we prayed. And we have seen people come to faith over this year. And it is wonderful that every Sunday as we have live services, there are new faces. People who weren't part of our church in uh, January 2020. Because as God took us back to the stripped away version of our faith, we simply were left with prayer and our relationship with Jesus. And if that has been a real struggle for you, and I know for many it has, I know for me it was at times as well, massively, then maybe this morning actually God's saying, just try prayer again. Try coming to me. Try simply letting me dwell in your heart and letting you know that you can accept God whilst also being expectant of God. But we're in an exciting time in our church again, because at this point, we are today starting our week of prayer walking. We are spending this week praying and saying, God, do it again. We are going to pray for our communities. We are going to pray for our city. We are going to pray for the people that we love. There are 834 subscribers to the Riverside YouTube channel. Some weeks, there are up to 2,000 people who watch these services I don't say that to go, woohoo, go us. I say that because if every single one of those people went out and prayed this week, oh my goodness, what could happen? Because we have a God who can do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. And it's been wonderful to hear stories of life groups and community groups who have already arranged to meet in smaller groups and go out and pray. And if you can't go out and pray, then pray in your home or meet some people over Zoom or on the telephone. Let's pray this week and let's come with expectant hearts to say, God, do again what you did in the early church because we want to see people know you. We want to see people love you. And maybe if you're with us this morning and you have never yet accepted God into your heart, can I just encourage you to simply pray a prayer that says, God, I don't even know if you're there, but I would love to see if I could know that you're there. God, come and fill me now. Let me know what it is to be in a relationship with you. Off the back of uh, our prayer week last uh, year, back in 2020, John, who is leading the service this morning, and Ben, wrote a song that they felt God give to them. And the words of the song say, God, do it again. You've done it before. Help us believe we're expectant for more. And as we sing that song now, knowing that this was a song written for Riverside, maybe simply just use it as a response to say, God, do it again. We want to be expectant. We don't just want to be excited for the end of TV programmes. We want to be excited for what you're going to do in this city and in our lives. God, do it again.